Welcome to Almost Here, Around the Corner of Future Technology podcast with Richard Jacobs. Future technologies poised to transform our lives for better or worse are the focus of this podcast. Almost Here means these technologies are now here and starting to be used. We're just around the corner from Bitcoin to artificial intelligence, 3D printing, blockchain, virtual reality, and more. Hello, this is Richard Jacobs with the Future Tech Podcast. My guest is Hamoun Ektiari. He's the CEO of Future Fit, and the website is futurefit.ai. So, Hamoun, thanks for coming. Hi, Richard. Thanks for having me on. Yeah. Well, tell me about uh, Future Fit. What's the goal of the company? Sure. Uh, Richard, for us, uh, as you think about the world of work and education and how that's changing and being disrupted by technology, uh, we think we need to have a Google Maps for the future of work and learning. So just like Google Maps helps us navigate the physical world, uh, that we need um, something to help us navigate the unpredictable and unpredictable world of work and learning. And so imagine being able to explore the world of careers, jobs, and skills based on what's growing, what's hot, what's in demand, then set a destination of where you want to go next. It then locates you in terms of where you're starting from, what skills do you have, what experiences do you bring to the table, and then it recommends pathways using AI algorithms to help you go from A to B. Here's the cheapest pathway, here's the fastest one, perhaps a boot camp, maybe a higher education institution. And then it guides you along the way with mentorship, support, uh, as well as coaching. Oh, interesting. Okay. Well, um, so you're helping people with uh, getting the training and the job skills and everything they need to, you know, to work in the workforce. What time window are you looking at? Just any time now into the future or five years plus, or do you have different skills for different time periods? Yeah, Richard, a lot of the news headlines that we all see these days, it's either about the robots are going to take the jobs or there are going to be new jobs created. And they often are based on some prediction uh, that looks at you know, 30, 40, 50 years out. And that's tough to actually make real for people today. So our view is we consume all of that data. It's millions of data points that, that we bring in, both on uh, predictions of what might happen in the marketplace as well as just the realities of today. So in your city where you are today, what are the jobs that are growing and what are the jobs that are declining? What skills are in demand and what's not? And so we pull all of that, those data points in, and then you can, you can set a goal of where you want to go. So for you, it might be, you know, in the next year, I'd like to be able to get uh, to this next stage, or I'm thinking about longer term, maybe five years out. And so the, uh, the algorithm then adjusts based on the requirements you put into it. Again, think about you know the analogy I mentioned. You're able to set, for example, say on a Google Maps, I don't want to take the toll road, uh, or I'm looking to make sure I can arrive by 3.50 this afternoon. It's a similar model where you're able to indicate what matters to you and what your destination and goal is in, in your journey of work and learning, and then it recommends pathways uh, accordingly. Do you have any sample uh, output you know, someone that's used the system recently for a particular industry and what the recommendation was? Yeah, totally. Uh, so happy, happy to give you a few examples. So uh, I actually just came back uh, from the Middle East where we were uh, working with a couple of the governments in the region. Uh, and from their view, this is actually a way of helping their citizens at large be able, <clears throat> be able to figure out what comes next and what they might want to invest uh, dollars and, and support in. 
And so they had they had a pilot run with uh, with some of their staff. Uh, and what it essentially allowed people to do, they were kind of feedback people give when they when they have the experience going through future fit AI is things like I would have never thought about that career option. So I'll give you an example. Uh, someone who had uh, been working for about 10 years in a, a manual job, but the manual job wasn't a predictable manual activity. It was very fine uh, physical work that required a lot of attention to detail and also required uh, to be able to actually manage in an intricate way the tool that, that uh, they were using. The recommendation for them was being able uh, to uh, work on the line of a robotics company and helping test the robot's dexterity. Uh, and so, you know, it's something they would have never considered as an alternative pathway, but they were quite worried about, I'm not sure if the job I'm in is going to be around for a longer term. Another example okay. of it, when I mentioned this idea of cheapest, fastest, maybe a best pathway to go from A to B, we <clears throat> ran a pilot in a community that was outside a major city center. So they didn't necessarily have access to as many universities and colleges. And universities and colleges weren't always affordable for people there. So some of the young people who were thinking about what they might want to do next, uh, one of their requirements was they needed to make uh, at least $25,000 before they even thought about uh, what a next stage uh, <clears throat> education, higher education experience might look like. And so again, right. going through profiling and getting their future for profile, the recommended pathway for them was actually uh, a, an industry that immediate, not only immediately paid them the money they were looking for, what they hadn't realized was there was a whole career they could make out of that without necessarily having to go through a four-year degree. So who were the, uh, are the people that will end up using this system? Do you seek them out or do they find you because they're searching for career advice? Like how do you end up interacting with clients? Yeah, so for us, one of the most exciting opportunities has been to be able to bring this out at scale is working with employers, enterprises, and government. And so we've been working with a number of financial institutions who are interested in helping their employees upskill and reskill as jobs change and technology comes in. And so, you know, they look at this and say, we, this helps people find pathways rather than just think about, I got to go to the next level, get promoted. And that's the only path. If I don't do that, I have no other pathways in the company. So they've been really interested in this as uh, upskilling, reskilling solution for their employers. Um, so that often is how we get uh, to workers, learners, and candidates through enterprises and employers, and also government, where governments are deeply thinking about the future of work, the impacts of that on communities, citizens, and society, and, and looking at a solution like this where it recommends from a range of different possibilities, both pathways and then learning and growth opportunities for you. So they look at this as something they can provide to their citizenry more broadly. So you, you want to interface, I guess, with, uh, with colleges and career placement and uh, maybe large companies that want to make sure that their, their workforce is placed properly or couldn't be redeployed in some other sector of the company? Like, what are the best organizations for you to be involved in, you think? Yeah, so we most often partner with uh, enterprises and employers as well as governments who are uh, looking at their workforce and upskilling and reskilling strategy. The interesting part of it, Richard, has been when it comes to higher education institutions. Traditionally, we've thought about I have you know a bit of a linear pathway. I go through 12 years of K to 12, then I go through four years of higher education, and then 40 years of work. Um, and that's not really the path anymore for most people. 
And so what's been interesting is when we work with governments and employers and, and then with uh, people who are at transitions in their life in terms of career and, and, and learning, what they often realize is where they might have assumed that they must complete a bachelor's degree and a master's degree. We work with employers who are willing to say, we're going to drop degree requirements and focus on skills. So focus on skills instead of degrees as a requirement of readiness for work. And that opens hmm. up access to people who would have never had access to some of these jobs. We work with employers like Deloitte, for example, who are fundamentally rethinking what it looks like, what a typical candidate looks like to them. It no longer needs to be an MBA. It no longer needs to come from a business school. They actually say we get plenty of those, and we're looking for a much more diverse uh, pipeline of candidates to be able to bring into our organizations because they bring a fundamentally different set of skills. So are these companies encouraged to look within their own workforce or just to look outside in the market but change their job requirements? Both, actually. So, uh, it, you know, again, going back to that map analogy, imagine an organization saying our destination is we need a lot more data scientists and we need them in the next six months. Normally, what a company might do is to say, this person should have a PhD in data science and come from these four schools. They're essentially going to a pond where everyone else is trying to fish, and it, both the cost of hiring go up really significantly, and it's not sustainable over the long term. And so what we work often with them to do is, one, to say to your point, how, who inside our organization might be one step, two step, four months of training away from being able to take on a role like this because of the skills they already have developed? And how do we look much more broadly at the pool of candidates in, in the marketplace, especially those who might not otherwise have had access to the world of work uh, and, and these job opportunities? And that benefits both the candidates, their employees, as well as the organizations themselves, where they're not paying an inflated price uh, to a very small pool of candidates. Okay. Interesting. So what do, you, uh, what do you feel like your algorithm is good at and where is it weak currently? Or you know, where does it really shine? And again, where does it need to, uh, to be improved? Yeah, I, uh, I, Richard, that's, that's a very good question. I think we often talk about algorithms and AI and don't necessarily dig into that gradient of strength and, and, uh, and weaknesses for the algorithm. So for us, what we find and we're able to access essentially labor market information that's updated daily based on job postings, resumes, um, as well as uh, hiring decisions. And so where it's quite strong is being able to leverage those insights from what's happening in the labor market. And you can cut this, uh, you know, a few hundred different ways to say this geography, this particular industry, this particular sector or skill. And it can give you really helpful insights about jobs, opportunities, careers, and skills that you would have not otherwise thought about of being able to achieve the kind of life goals you have. Uh, it can do that quite strongly and quite well. Where we're making some investments because the data in the marketplace is just not great uh, to improve over, uh, over the coming months and years is uh, this idea of how do you know which one of the education providers, so whether that is a university, whether it's a college, whether it's a boot camp, whether it's uh, just an actual private provider in your community where it's an in-class offering, how do you know which one of them actually delivers high-quality outcomes? That data set, Richard, is not very widely available, and it's not, there is no common taxonomy to it, right? 
every one of those providers come out and tell each of us, come to me, come to me, we've got the answers, and here's how much that's going to cost. What we're investing in is to be able to build a broad database of cost, duration, and effectiveness, all of these learning, education, training experiences, so that over time, once you decide, here's the destination you want to go to, just like Google Maps would tell you, here's what the train would look like, here's what a car would look like, here's what walking would look like, we'd be able to tell you, for you to achieve that goal of getting to that destination, here's the range, uh, the range of pathways available to you, and a meaningful assessment of which one of them might best match your criteria for getting there. Hmm. So because you have uh, data that most people in the market don't see and you have a lot more data, what, what kind of trends or interesting, interesting things are jumping out at you, um, you know, right now? Yeah, I think one of the biggest ones that uh, surface when we dig into the data, Richard, is we all hear about coding these days, right? Let's, let's learn to code. Let's teach every kid to code. We're just actually working with the government who denounced a strategy of helping all young people in the country learn to code. Uh, and the interesting thing is that when you truly incorporate both the medium-term and long-term data, one is that in the longer term, skill like coding is one of the most susceptible to automation, right? It has all the characteristics. It, it's repeatable. It's in a language that computers and machines can understand. And it is already on a path to being automated. That's one in terms of just automation risk that I think we often don't think about just because it's uh, fancy and it's technology. The other piece is when you look at uh, the supply in the marketplace right now, because of the number of boot camps out there and the number of people who've taken a coding course, the junior developer market is oversaturated in a lot of major centers, Right that it is not that there is a lack of people who've just come out of a boot camp and looking to get a job as a junior developer. We did some experiments with a, uh, with a couple of uh, organizations. Within 48 hours, and these are not well-known brands, of posting for a junior developer job, they ended up, ended up getting 250-plus applications. So the challenge isn't oh, at wow. all a, a supply question, right? And so I think one of the trends we're seeing is a lot of blind decisions being made both by companies and governments, as well as by candidates around skills that might seem trendy. But in fact, when you dig into and have the visibility and insight of the labor market information, it's probably not the best bet and the best return on investment of your dollars. That's probably one big insight. Another is uh, the, the opposite maybe of that coin. Um, areas and fields that have actually meaningful pay growth and long-term uh, pers- uh, uh, prospects but people are not thinking about. So areas where it's high human touch are actually very low in terms of at least the next 20 to 30 years auto, uh, risk and susceptibility to automation. So things like social work, right? Uh, or healthcare. But the number of graduates who are meaningfully thinking about those as career pathways, whether because they're not as sexy these days or as attractive, or often, and a lot of them are surprised to know how much they can pay in the long term, they're not choosing those pathways. So you're, but the demand is growing for those fields because the, you know, the older our populations get, especially in a lot of the Western uh, countries, the more you're going to need those kind of supports in the system. So that, that's, that's probably the second. And maybe I'll just finish with the third one, uh, which is a, a personal favorite of mine. And I think the, the piece that uh, I was personally also surprised by and hadn't 
thought about before was the fact that you, there is an ability and research about 100 years worth of it behind this that can help profile who you are and help you understand, you know, Richard, you might have heard of 23andMe, right? It helps, it right, sequences yeah. your DNA and gives you some visibility into what you might be uh, susceptible to or most um, successful at from a health perspective. There is actually, just like we've sequenced the human genome from a DNA perspective, there's increasingly research that allows us to do a similar sequencing of the human genome from a highest strength, best strengths, highest areas of potential, and which kind of field you might thrive in most. And the reason I'm most excited about this, Richard, is we've had an education system over, over the years that said, you are, Richard is 99 from a great perspective, Hamoon is 80, and, and Kate might be 70, uh, 72. Uh, and we were put on this ladder, whereas the reality of what we're finding is actually about finding the strengths. And for every kind of strength, there are fields that are best matched for you. But we don't have a system that looks at it as multiple pathways that are equal and valuable as one another. We have a system that values hierarchy of pathways. And so uh, we worked with an employer where they were able, uh, for a job that required high orientation to detail, they were able to focus on a group of people on the autism spectrum who would have never performed well on a test in school and who would have not necessarily performed well at all in a job interview because of the specific uh, on unusual skills that a test in a job interview, but they were a perfect match for this particular job. And so I think that that last one is probably one I'm most excited about because there is this massive gap between talent and opportunity. Talent is something that we feel is equally distributed, but, but opportunity isn't. And to be able to think of this human DNA um, uh, genome sequencing from a work and learning and potential perspective, it gives opens the door for us to help people identify best career pathways and future paths for them and help governments and employers not stack rank people, but match them against based op best opportunities for them. Huh. That's very interesting. Um, you know, I've seen like personality assessment tests and I've seen a whole bunch of tests, but are you saying that you literally are finding that based on someone's uh, makeup, you know, uh, I don't know, their psychographic makeup, or are, are you going beyond that to see what kind of jobs that they think they would be good at or what they would show positive uh, bias towards doing? Yeah, uh, and I think, Richard, that's a, that's a very good question on this topic because I think there is, to your point, a lot of things out there. Let's do this quick five-minute assessment, and it'll tell you, you know, you are the profile of a policeman. Uh, and, and the reality is a lot of those, while they might have an element of what's required, they don't go through the trouble of actually looking at what the research says are all the required pieces of the puzzle. So very quickly to give you a sense, what the research says in this field is there are particular components of personality that are, and not all of them, and a very specific subset that are uh, relevant in thinking about what pathways you might best match to, but that's only one piece of the puzzle. So not all of them and only one piece of the puzzle. There's another piece that's actually about your skill orientation. Uh, we often think of it as head, heart, and hands. Some of us are thinkers, and so we call, you know, that's a head profile. Some of us are more relational um, and communicate, communication-focused, and that's more of a heart a profile. And some of us are builders and creators, and that's more of a hands profile. 
And what's interesting is that that, you know, there's a few levels of detail behind those three major categories. But even at that high level, there is ability to match the taxonomy of the world of work and jobs to profiles of people. So if you take personality, combine it with a skill profile, add into that things like uh, geographic requirements, interests, uh, and the, do, you, do you like to work outside? Do you want to work inside an office? Once you put those pieces of the puzzle together, you can actually meaningfully, rather than just you know, that orange, blue, green uh, test that we might do in grade 10, actually give people a dynamic profile that evolves over time and that can learn from them and their choices and decisions to help them better and better inform their future learning and career decisions. I wonder if this could be used for entrepreneurs that you know, want to understand their markets, if they could somehow use this data to find new markets for their existing products. So interesting you mentioned that. Uh, so two use cases for entrepreneurs, Richard. One is, I mentioned to you that example of a small business we had, uh, a couple of small businesses we had worked with, and within 48 hours, they got 250 applications. They really, their problem wasn't getting number of applications. It was finding the right quality match fit. Um, and, and so one use case is helping entrepreneurs, given they really need to focus in on building the business, not to have to go through 250 resumes when the resumes are proven not to be predictive as a tool of good hiring decisions and performance on the job. So helping them through a, an assessment model like this find better matches that are actually meaningful shortlist of candidates for an interview. That's one use case. Another that we were ourselves uh, quite surprised to find uh, uh, relevant, but has been received quite well, is imagine, I talked about that idea of a small, all the fish in a small pond and everyone going to the same place. Imagine you're building your business as an entrepreneur. You need to expand to a new continent and grow in that region, but you haven't chosen which city to be in. You probably might look up some articles, you might hear about uh, the top city in China where every technology company is based. If you just choose to go there at that level of decision-making, you're probably going to pay way too much. You're not going to be able to stand out in the marketplace and have a hard time finding the talent you need. What you can do using labor market data is filter down to say, for the kind of skills you require, what are some of the secondary markets in that region? where based on the actual profile of people in those markets and job postings, there is both a supply and quality of the kind of talent you need. And so imagine being able to make smart decisions rather than blind decisions about where you grow and when you place your next office. It's the kind of insights that entrepreneurs, especially in the growth stage, really value. This is a pretty amazing ecosystem of data you can create. I mean, I can see for job sharing at some point if that becomes a thing, uh, you can inform companies what kind of candidates are in their area that can work their jobs. Yeah, and Richard, the use cases uh, are um, significant. One of the things that has come up quite a bit, and you've touched on this, uh, the idea of job sharing, but I think the other part of it is also this idea of what would a work marketplace inside organizations look like? So imagine having this map where you can see trends around what projects are hot, what skills are in demand, and being able to quickly make investments to incentivize people to take particular types of projects. Uh, and that, again, managers right now mostly see only their own team. They know their own team, the talents in their team, but there's very little visibility across the whole organization of what kind of talent do we have available to your point, both inside and nearby to our ecosystem that we could quickly tap 
to prioritize investment into projects that matter to us to move work forward. So for us, it's very much this belief that we've been operating in a world of blindness when it comes to understanding work learning pathways. And so there is an opportunity, just like a Google Maps was able to bring us that visibility and make us a lot more effective and efficient at navigating the physical world, that we can do that for the world of human potential, skills, uh, and, and opportunity. Well, what else do you see about the, again, what data do you see that other people don't see of the jobs that are out there, um, the companies that are putting those jobs out there, I guess they're putting them out. I don't know, in, in a very inefficient way. I mean, what else can you do to help the enterprises not only um, put out the right job descriptions, but in the right places? And, you know, maybe you can get a little more into that. Sure, Richard. I think one of the things we see, and this is probably, you know, we haven't uh, done a full research piece on this, but it would be worthwhile to do, is we see very consistently so many organizations simply follow trends. And so you can actually map to say, you know, there was this uh, big three months worth of media coverage on data science, chief data scientists at, at, at various organizations. And then you see the number of chief data scientists posts uh, just spike quite significantly following that. And I think the risk of that for a lot of organizations is that simply following the next shiny object doesn't get you to a place of proactively thinking about a strategy for your workforce of wh what is our position? Where is it that we want to go? What is our destination as a, on, on the map as an organization? And then what kind of talent is going to be best suited for the future? Which of those talent do we have inside? Which of the talent inside might not be best suited and we can help them transition? And then what talent externally do we want to bring in? So I think Seeing data like that can be a wake-up call for enterprises to say, we need to actually be a lot more proactive rather than just respond to trends and shiny objects in the marketplace. Because what that can result in is a lot of bad organizational design with a lot of jobs and roles that you don't really need, but you've just created for the sake of it. So that, that's one. Another, we find, is to be able uh, to actually help uh, people inside the organization. Automation is here. It is happening across a lot of enterprises, but organizations don't have, a, don't have an easy way of being able to help each individual go through a discovery and assessment process to say, okay, I, I now better understand my strengths and interests and skills. I know where the organization is, wants to go. Am I a fit for that future or do I actually want to go do something else? And if they want to go do something else, the organization is, uh, can often help them do that, right? Help them transition with a budget that helps them go through an upskilling and reskilling experience for a different career. Or if they want to stay and they have a path in front of them, helping them make that transition. So it's about helping employees uh, make those decisions and then supporting them along the way a lot more than they are today. Today, oftentimes, enterprises just give you content on the screen. And content on the screen doesn't translate into you developing a new skill or actually meaningfully learning a new capability. So those are a couple. And then from a government perspective, I'll just quickly cover this. A lot of government strategies around workforce development are reactive, right? So a trend has already happened. They then decide by the time it comes around that we should now invest in coding, even if they are maybe three years past the peak of that particular skill or career or field or opportunity. 
And so because they often operate on labor market data that's six, five to six years old. And so to be able to have access to live labor market information can significantly change the trajectory of the investments they make and how effective it is for government, for citizens and the country as a whole. What about um, workforce reentry programs? I've spoken to a few and um, they're supposed to be looking for you know jobs for their people. Um, it sounds like your tool will be a huge help for them. I mean, it may make them afraid that it'll replace them, but uh, it seems like it would help those people too. I mean, do you see any difficulty in dealing with, let's say, ex-cons or people that are disadvantaged, you know, single mothers, uh, et cetera, and helping them get into the workforce, or this would benefit anyone? I think those kind of cohorts, Richard, are actually long-term who were most excited about creating pathways and opportunities for I mentioned this briefly, I think, earlier, but our, the entire uh, FutureFit AI came about from this belief of the gap between talent and opportunity. And we so often profile people based on a couple of factors and then dismiss them as having any potential skills or capabilities, right? Uh, and this might, you know, you might have uh, heard this, but it is often talked about people who might have gone through the justice system. They are in a lot of ways entrepreneurial. They have a lot of those skills that enterprises now demand. Now, yes, of course, enterprises are going to have questions around safety, risk, ability, you know, and, and whether they've gone through a chain journey. And some of those you can very much validate through a meaningful um, assessment of, of the candidate. To your point, you know, I think of a Google Maps. When you take a detour, the map just doesn't tell you, okay, you took a detour and I'm done with you. you, you the path stays like it was. It recalibrates and gives you a new path. And so you mentioned mothers who might have taken some time off from the workplace, often finding it a struggle, even though they still have as many skills, if not greater, uh, empathy and, and human emotion, uh, social emotional skills to bring to the workplace, find it difficult to get back into the marketplace. And so much of that is just because organizations have bad proxies for deciding potential skills and talent. And we absolutely think that uh, you know, a solution like this, and hopefully many more solutions like this out in the marketplace, can help organizations pull the curtain away from, I'm going to look for six seconds at a resume that's a really bad tool about giving me information about you, and make an implicit judgment about the two-year gap in your resume that you were just not able to get a job rather than you made an investment to be at home and actually be able to have a meaningful profile. We now work with organizations who say, we'd like to target specifically candidates who come from marginalized communities, candidates who are otherwise overlooked. We ran an experiment with a number of large employers, all of them with at least 20,000 employees, um, and we had uh, about a half a dozen of these on board. They agreed, following a four-month uh, career readiness and training experience, that they would give interviews to their, for their jobs to candidates who didn't have any uh, higher education degrees and who all came from marginalized communities and backgrounds. Hmm. Opportunities like it that, Richard, like, um, we think can change the workforce. Yeah, definitely. I mean, it sounds like um, yeah, it's more interesting the more you talk about it. it I wonder, it will be interesting if you were able to partner with, uh, you know, like Monster.com or, I don't know, Indeed or something, and you put your future fit approved stamp on the candidates and then employers could know, okay, well, we're going to get much better candidates from this site because they've been vetted by your process, you know? Richard, we might have to uh, call you after this call for 
some uh, <laughs> expert in residence advisory. It's a lot of the questions you're asking are the ones we're thinking about. So very much about how do we get into the existing pipelines and, and, and uh, tra um, uh, transition points and help people make the best decisions, both as candidates and as employers and government. But absolutely. So we're in conversation with a number of the job boards about what a partnership might look like. Very cool. Um, so this is available to enterprises. Can individuals use it? And they go into your system and say, hey, throw me in the pool. Uh, this is how I am and my skills and all that. Or you're not there yet and you're going to stick with enterprises. Yeah. So we, uh, if, if individuals visit our website, futurefit.ai, they can easily sign up and we roll out cohorts. Uh, we think it's a much more powerful experience when you're going through it with others. And so if they sign up uh, on the website, we're absolutely... We've run a number of cohorts of people going through this experience. As I mentioned, uh, we are headed to the Middle East in the new year to run uh, a massive, massive pilot there as well with a couple of governments. And so I think it's absolutely uh, something that I would encourage people to do to visit the website and we'll be in touch with them as each cohort. Uh, we have about uh, three or four cohorts every year that run. And so we'll be in touch with them when those come online. Okay. Very good. Um, I don't know if you know or you could say, but what's, what's um, on the table for the coming year? you know, what uh, new things are coming out from you guys? Yeah, so what we are excited about uh, in 2019 are we're uh, looking to make some uh, pretty significant partnership announcements in the first half of the year. So look out for that. And we're excited to be able to share that with you and, uh, and your audience. Uh, and then we are also going to roll out uh, a lot more uh, functionality for individual users and consumers. Uh, what would it look like to get your personalized profile so that you better understand your strengths and opportunities? What would it look like to have an explore functionality where you can explore the job market based on growth, demand, skills, how much jobs pay, uh, your, your own skills and abilities, and to be able to do that as you go along? So we're also really excited in the second half of the year to roll out a number of more consumer features. All right, very good. Mahamun, this is really cool stuff. I can see that... Uh... It's really going to take on, uh, you know, super significance over time. So I appreciate you coming on the podcast. And uh, what's the best way for people to reach out? Yeah, thanks so much for having me, Richard. It's been great uh, chatting with you. Best way to reach out would be to visit uh, futurefit.ai uh, and sign up there. And we, we reach out with opportunities uh, from employers. We reach out with uh, opportunities in our own network as well, uh, as well as new features and products uh, for uh, for people. So that would be the best way to get in touch um, and look forward to uh, following your uh, podcast and future episodes as well, Richard. Thank you. You've been listening to Almost Here, Around the Corner Future Technology Podcast with Richard Jacobs. Subscribe to this podcast, post a review to discover more future technologies that are poised to transform our lives for better or worse, such as Bitcoin, artificial intelligence, 3D printing, blockchain, virtual reality, and more.